0: Hello, and welcome to The Celestial Tales, a podcast where we explore the night sky using both mythology and astronomy. In each episode, I, Gemma Kerr, will tell you a story that a culture has linked to a constellation, as well as describing some of its astronomical features and how you can observe them yourself. In this, the first episode, we are exploring the constellation of Orion, one of the most recognisable constellations in the night sky. We will meet some of the gods of Irish mythology, as we follow the early life of Lou, a half-giant, half-god, with quite the CV and a big prophecy surrounding him. As a slight warning before we get started, while there is nothing graphic in today's story, there are several violent parts, including violence directed at children. I've put details of these in the show notes, so do check that before listening if anything may be a problem. (music) The poems that tell the mythology of pre-Christian Ireland describe it as a beautiful yet wild place in which several different groups battle for control. The forces of nature and magic are incredibly important, and each group's relationship with them dramatically affect their chances of survival. One of these groups is called the Tua de Danon. The Tua de Danon are a mythical race of beings considered to be the gods of pre-Christian Gaelic Ireland. Much like the ancient Greek pantheon, Each member of the Tua de Danon has a particular talent associated with some aspect of life. They were ruled by Nuada, an honest and sensible king who led his people in battle against rival groups. And the Tua de Danon had no greater enemy than the Fomorians. The Fomorians were a monstrous race of giants, intent on chaos, death and wiping out the Tua de Danon. They had plagued Ireland since its creation emerging out of the rocks and the sea to cause pain to anyone they came across. Sometimes referred to as demons, the Fomorians could be powerful and violent, but also beautiful and cunning. Their king, Bala, was a colossal cyclops, feared throughout Ireland because of his magic eye, which had the power to poison anyone he looked at. He was said to be the personification of the scorching sun, harsh and destructive. And despite King Nuada's best efforts, it seemed that there could be no peace between the Tuatha de Danon and the Fomorians with such a king. But what could be done? King Bala's strength and evil eye made him practically invincible, even against the gods. So it seemed that no one would be able to get rid of this warmongering king. The Tuatha de Danon's first ray of hope came from the discovery of a prophecy. A prophecy was found which predicted the death of King Bala. It was foretold that he would be murdered by his own grandson. When Bala heard this prophecy, he felt vulnerable for the first time, and it was not a feeling he liked. In an effort to prevent the inevitable, Bala had his only daughter, Aethnu, locked away in a glass tower on an island, hoping that this isolation would be enough to keep her from ever giving birth to his eventual murderer. What he did not account for, though, was the tenacity of the gods. Kian was a young member of the Tua de Danon, distantly related to King Nuada, who had personal grievances with Bala. Using trickery, Bala had stolen a magic cow belonging to Kian, and Kian wanted it back. Helped by the magic of a fairy woman, Kian snuck his way onto the island and into Bala's tower. Instead of his cow, he found a beautiful woman, Aethnu. The pair spent time together, and eventually Aethnou gave birth to triplets. When King Bala discovered what had happened, he was furious and ordered a servant to drown the children. With kian away from the island, there was little Aithnu could do to protect her children from the enraged Bala. For the first two children, there was no escape. However, the third was rescued by the fairy woman and taken to his father. kian named his son, Lu. raised in hiding from his grandfather with help from a series of powerful foster parents including a god of the sea and the god of smithing. He was a clever child who had picked up skills quickly from these various parental figures. As he grew into a young man this cleverness became restlessness and Lu decided it was time to go and find his own place among the gods. One day he arrived at Tara at the great halls of King Nuada. Tara is a real place in County Meath, where ancient kings are said to have been coronated. In mythology, it is where the king and many important members of the Danann live and hold court. It also acts as the entrance to the other world, the magical realm that exists parallel to the island that we can see. When Lu asked the doorkeeper to let him through the grand entrance, the doorkeeper replied, What art do you practice? For no one without an art enters Tara. Lou announced that he was a builder. Could he please come in now? The doorkeeper, unimpressed, explained, We do not need you. We have a builder already. You may not enter. Lou tried again, adding that he was also a smith. And again the doorkeeper replied, We do not need you. We have a smith already. You may not enter. Undeterred, Lou tried a third time, declaring that he was also a warrior. But yet again the doorkeeper replied, We do not need you. We have a warrior already. You may not enter. This exchange carried on for some time, with Lou adding champion, harpist, poet, historian, sorcerer, physician, cupbearer, and craftsman to his list of qualifications. But for each one, the doorkeeper replied that they did not need him and he could not enter. It seemed that every talent was already represented in Tara. It would have been very easy for Lou to give up here and go home, but that is not the type of person he was. Finally, in a breathtaking display of confidence, Lou asked the doorkeeper if they already had a man who was good at everything. And if they hadn't, then he must be allowed to enter and fill that position. And so it went that Lu was allowed to join the Tua de Danon in Tara with the official position of Master of All Skills. Meanwhile, trouble had been brewing in Tara. King Nuada had been injured in battle and left unable to rule, leaving a half Fomorian named Bresh in his place. Nuada's logic behind this choice was that nominating a king of the Tuatha de Danon, who was related directly to their old enemy, the Fomorian giants, would help to bring peace between these warring groups. Unfortunately, this choice would prove disastrous. Bresh was an intelligent and famously handsome person, but was driven by a selfish ambition that would bring the Tuatha de Danann close to ruin. During his reign, it became clear that Bresch was not going to use his intelligence to help his people, in fact, much the opposite. Bresch ignored the talents of the Tuatha de Danann and neglected his own responsibilities in governing the kingdom. Master warriors were forced to collect firewood, and druids were put to work digging trenches around Bresch's own fort. This incompetent and oppressive style of leadership was bad enough, but to make matters worse, Brush's true loyalties lay with the Fomorians, and members of the Tuatha Dé were made to pay tribute to them or even work as their slaves. For years, the people struggled under King Brush, all the while secretly plotting to overthrow him. But with no one available who could legally be king, thanks to a set of strict yet agreed-upon rules put in place by Nuada himself, all the Tuatha Dé could do was wait for their rightful king to be healed. In the end, it was Cian's father and uncle who managed to heal Nuada with the fashioning of first a silver prosthetic and then an entirely new arm. Finally healed, Nuada was immediately reinstated as king, and Bresh banished from Tara. But Bresh was not willing to give up the crown without a fight. He went to King Bala of the Fomorians to ask for an army to help him take back control of Ireland. And King Bala was more than happy to oblige. This was the Tara that Lou found as he entered, a Tara preparing for a Fomorian war. Not one to make a quiet entrance, upon arrival, Lou immediately takes up a challenge offered to him by the court champion to a flagstone-throwing contest. The champion lifts a massive flagstone from the floor of Tara and hurls it outside the building. Not once questioning his own skill, Lou goes to the stone and manages to hurl it right back into place, winning the contest. In his first night in Tara, Lu also manages to beat everyone in a chess-like game, and put on a moving heart performance that lasts well into the night. These various displays of talent swiftly attract the attention of King Nuada, who thinks that this young man could be put to better use in his kingdom. King Nuada put Lu and his many talents to work, organising a strategy for their upcoming war against the Fomorians. Lu proved to be excellent at battle planning. His strength lay in recognising the talents of the people. Lou asked each member of the Tuatha Dé Danann what they could bring to the fight. The sorcerer told Lou that he could shake the mountains underneath the Fomorians, so it would seem that the mountains of Ireland were on their side. The cupbearer told Lou that he could keep all water from the Fomorians, so it would seem that the lakes and rivers of Ireland were on their side. Each member of the Tuatha Dé Danann had something to contribute, and Lou coordinated it all. So competent was his leadership, that king nuada exchanged seats with him in the feast allowing lugh to sit on his throne for 13 days however unlike bresh his fellow half-fomorian lugh did not let this recognition go to his head knowing he could not fight the battle on his own lugh sought the advice of the morrigan the morrigan is a relatively well-known member of the tuatha de danann making occasional appearances in films and video games today in irish mythology she is the Phantom Queen, the goddess of death and war, a wise person to seek the advice of before a major battle. The Morrigan prophesied that the Tua de Danon would win the battle, but at great cost. The day of the battle came. The armies of King Nuada of the Tua de Danon and King Bala of the Fomorians met at Moitura in County Sligo but Lu was not among them. Fearing that his life would be the great cost foretold by the Morrigan, several members of the Tuadidannon had chosen to keep him safe in Tara, surrounded by an impressive guard of minor gods and his previous foster parents. This was frustrating for Lu, who did not put in all this work only to let others die while he was sheltered. He knew that he and those guarding him had skills that would be sorely missed on the battlefield. Once again, Lou asked each god guarding him what they could bring to the fight. The smith said that he could replace weapons as quickly as they could be destroyed in battle. The carpenter said that he could supply any shields that would be needed. And the morrigan, who had a bit of a flair for the dramatic, said that she could bring pursuit, death and subjugation. Lou addressed each of the gods in this way, acknowledging their talents and building their courage, until everyone left on Tara let out a massive war cry and went to join the battle. Lu arrived at Moitura just in time to see King Balor step into the fray. All around him, the two were holding their own against the Fomorians, with each god playing their part exactly as they had planned with him. But nothing could stop the power of King Balor and his poisonous eye. Wherever he focused his gaze, gods were falling. The battle raged on, and as Lou flung a spear from his chariot at a nearby giant, he turned to see Bala focus his eye straight at King Nuada. And just like that, King Nuada, the benevolent leader who'd taken Lu in and trusted in his skills, fell, never to rise again. Lou reacted immediately, turning his chariot to ride towards Bala. He knew he would have to act quickly, as Bala began to turn his eye on him. Having just thrown his spear, the only weapon Lu had with him was his old slingshot, but it would have to do. Lu readied a stone, aimed ahead, and with lightning-fast accuracy hit Balor directly in the eye, and its poisonous magic was instead directed at the Fomorians close to Balor as he fell. And thus, the prophecy that King Balor would be murdered by his own grandson came to pass. Both armies now kingless, it was time for both half Fomorians, Lou and Bresch, to take leadership. The Tuidadanan quickly rallied behind Lou, and with the help of the Morrigan, they easily defeated what was left of the Fomorian army. Many Fomorians retreated into the sea, but Bresch, the incompetent king whose ambition started it all, was captured. The Tuidadanan looked to Lou to decide what to do with him. Bresch begged to be spared, saying that he had talents to offer Ireland. First, he offered to ensure that the cows in Ireland always gave plenty of milk. No, said Lou, as you do not have control over such things. So instead, Brush offered to force a harvest every season. No, said Lou, as each season is suited to a different task. Spring for sowing, summer for growing, autumn for reaping, and winter for eating. Offer a smaller talent, if you can teach the men of Ireland how to sow, grow and reap, then I shall let you go free. And so Bresh was released, on the condition that he continued to teach the Irish how to grow the best crops from their land. The Danann returned to Tara, where Lugh was crowned as their rightful king. And so, the master of all skills became the god of kings, justice and rulership. That's where we're going to leave the story for now. There are many other stories in Irish mythology involving Lugh and the rest of the Tuatha de Danon, including the birth of Lugh's very famous son, Cú Cullan. But that will be for another time. As with most mythologies, the details of these stories vary between tellings, so there are many different versions of them. Similarly, constellations may have links to many different stories, and in most cases the exact figure that a constellation may have been initially linked with is very much up for debate. Very few of the old Irish names for the constellations have survived, so usually the ancient Greek name is used. Orion is one of the most recognisable constellations in the sky. Being fairly large and visible from most of the planet, it has captured the attention of many cultures. Orion continues to be of interest within astronomy because of several interesting features. It is made up of around eight main stars, arranged in an hourglass shape, with three stars across the middle. Fainter stars extend the constellation out in a triangle above, and an arc to the side of the main shape. Orion contains two of the brightest stars in the night sky, Rigel and Betelgeuse, or Betelgeuse as it is better known. As a side note, people love to argue about how to pronounce the name of this star but there is no official and agreed-upon correct way, so I'm just going to stick with Betelgeuse, because it's how I first learned to say it. Rigel is the brightest of the two, and shines a distinctly blue colour, while Betelgeuse shines red light. Slightly counter to what you might expect, this means that Rigel is hotter at its surface than Betelgeuse. The colour of light that we get from stars allows us to determine their temperature, with blue being the hottest, cooling through white to yellow and orange, and the coolest appearing red. When I say coolest here, I should probably clarify that I do not mean actually cold. Despite being red and at the coolest end of the scale, Betelgeuse still has an approximate temperature of around 3,000 degrees at its surface. In contrast, the blue, Rigel, has an approximate temperature of around 11,000 degrees at its surface. As well as its distinctive red colour, Betelgeuse is also famous for being near the end of its life. Stars shine through a process called nuclear fusion, in which hydrogen gas is smashed together to make heavier elements. When a star begins to run out of hydrogen, its outer layer expands, and it becomes a type of star called a red giant. The nuclear fusion process continues, but using helium, the next element up in the periodic table, instead of hydrogen. This is most likely what's happening inside Betelgeuse at the moment. At around a thousand times the width of our sun, Betelgeuse has become big enough and bright enough to be officially classified as a red supergiant star, but this is not a stable state to be in. Soon, Betelgeuse will run out of material that can be fused, and its core will collapse, triggering an explosion of its outer layers, called a supernova. Unfortunately, it's currently impossible to predict exactly when this will happen. It could be within our lifetimes, but may not yet be for another 100,000 years. While this could seem like a long time to us, for a star that's already over 8 million years old, it's not much time at all. When it does happen, the Betelgeuse supernova will be so bright that you'll be able to see it during the daytime for weeks. After that, all that will be left of Betelgeuse is a neutron star, the core of very dense material which can be as small as a city. But stars aren't the only interesting objects in Orion. Moving down from the distinctive three stars of Orion's belt is a part of the constellation known as Orion's Sword. The bright object visible in the middle of Orion's Sword is not a star at all, but a nebula. Sometimes referred to as stellar nurseries, nebulae are clouds of gas and dust when new stars form. There are around 700 young stars in the Orion Nebula, so to the naked eye it appears as a bright fuzzy patch. However, with some good binoculars or even a small telescope, it's possible to pick out some individual stars within the nebula. Something that I think is well worth checking out if you have the opportunity to do so. If you are looking for Orion in the night sky, your location and the date and time will all have an impact on where it is. In August, Orion begins to rise over the eastern horizon just before dawn. The timings shift over the year though, so don't worry if, like me, you're more of a night owl than an early riser. By December, Orion will be in a good position to observe before midnight. When looking for Orion in the night sky, a good tip is to look for the three stars of Orion's belt in a row. From there, you can check you've found the right constellation by looking for the blue and red of Rigel and Betelgeuse on opposite corners around it. The stars of Orion have been used for centuries, to help locate other stars in the night sky, too. If you trace a line through Orion's belt and continue it to the left of Orion, you will find Sirius, the dog star, which is the brightest star in the night sky. Tracing the same line in the other direction, you'll come across Aldebaran, a star in the constellation of Taurus. Orion has been linked to several different characters in Irish mythology, from King Nuada to later heroes like Lu son Cú it's often been linked to Lou because of his epithet Lu Lovada, or Lou of the Long Arm. It has been suggested that the stars forming a triangle above Betelgeuse depict the raised long arm of Lou as he throws a rock, the moon, at Bala's evil eye, the sun. Because of Orion's placement in the sky close to the Milky Way, Lou has also been described as wearing the Milky Way as a silver chain around his neck. Today, Lou's name can be found in the name of the Irish Harvest Festival, Lunasa. This takes place at the start of August, just as Orion becomes visible again after months below the horizon at night. That's it for today. Come back next time when I'll be looking at the constellation of Cygnus and telling the story of Orpheus from ancient Greek mythology. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing to it, and if you have time, then rating or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts would help me and the show out massively. I'm Gemma Kerr, and this has been The Celestial Tales. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time.